Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 4th. The Clemson Tigers have now won their sixth in a row over the South Carolina Gamecocks after a 38-3 win in Columbia over the weekend. The Tigers have also now beaten their last seven opponents by 30 more points. Meanwhile, South Carolina has failed to score 30 points against an FBS opponent this year for the first time since 1999 when Lou Holtz's first team went 0-11. So life is good. Ben and Sam here with you today. Sam, it's uh, good to have you back. I believe that this is your first show recording from your new home in Charlotte. Yeah, first time from the East Coast. We'll see how it goes. Uh, some sound quality questions uh, with the echo, but hopefully it's not too bad. Well, I think our listeners have come to expect uh, subpar audio from us, Sam. Um, well, you know, they, they're not dumb. They listen every week and they can tell when it's not good quality. Well, they don't pay us, and we don't know what we're doing, to be fair. so They keep coming back, though, so <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, other caveat with this show, um, I have been up since 4 a.m. Eastern this morning. I caught a flight from Charleston at 6 a.m. back to the west coast of San Francisco. So I've been up for quite a while. I'm uh, staying alive here on Red Bull. So if I start this episode talking slowly and then gradually speed up towards the end, you'll know why. So today we're here to recap the South Carolina game, but also start off here with a look around college football and talk about the latest uh, college football playoff rankings. Um, as mentioned, the, the Tigers in the regular season with a 38-3 win over South Carolina. They head into the ACC championship game next week against Virginia and Charlotte. Sam, you going to be going to that? I am going to that. I'm excited. Uh, one of the advantages of being on the East Coast is that you can do things like go to ACC championship games. Yeah, and you're right in Charlotte, so you don't have to travel far. No, we don't even have to drive. Just hop on the light rail. It's like 20 minutes away. Um, I didn't even realize Charlotte had light rail. Yeah, it's fairly fairly recent, the last five or ten years. Um, so before we get going into the, the playoff standings and the games from over the weekend, Sam, I want to touch base real quick on Dabo's rant after the, uh, the game over the weekend. I guess we're calling it a rant by Dabo, but um, you know him kind of playing the, uh, the no respect card again, saying – you know, listen, this this game was, was big to us. I, I know people aren't considering as much of a rivalry because South Carolina has been good lately, but we have to win this game. Georgia gets a pass for losing to South Carolina at home, but we would not get the the same pass had, had we lost to them on the road. We'd probably definitely be out of the college football playoff. Um, and that's, those are the words coming from Dabo. Um, and then obviously Paul Feynman comes back and has his inflammatory comments. But I guess the, the way that I look at it is, you know, it's the same way that a coach uh, would talk up his team uh, trying to get into the NCAA tournament in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Right before Selection Sunday, you hear the coaches make the case for their team, uh, knowing that in some sense it's going to create media narratives and may have some influence on the selection committee. So this is coach speak in my mind from Dabo, and I appreciate that from him. And he's won his two national championships, and it works. 
So let that be what it is. Paul Feinbaum's going to go on, on his rants because he's media and he's uh, picking, cherry picking the narratives that, that kind of create the most drama. But that's the business of it. As fans, I would like to see us just sit back and don't worry about what the media has to say. We know how good we are. Uh, we know how good this team is and we know what we're watching and we know we should win out. And as long as we do, we'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's it's really just jostling for position in the top four from Dabo's side of things. He's not probably actually concerned um, over much with you know what people think about us or what they say about us. But the thing that does matter is that we make it into the playoff and that we, you know, ideally have the top two ranking. That probably isn't going to happen unless LSU loses. Um, but he's just making the case for the team to be in the playoff. You know. Um, if you're in, you've got a shot. And if we keep winning, we'll get there and we'll have a shot. Yeah. And it's funny in the, in this, in the uh, playoff ranking show on Tuesday, it really surprised me to hear Chris Fowler. Um, well, first tongue in cheek, make the comment about, uh, no respect, but, uh, really coming out and saying, and Jesse Palmer agreed with him that they still think that these top three teams, Ohio state, LSU and Clemson, that they can sustain losses, this weekend, but they're a lock to be in as long as they're not horrible blowouts, which, you know, I can see that for Ohio state and LSU, but it never once crossed my mind that we could lose to Virginia and still make it in the playoff. Did, did it for you? No, I, I don't think that that's, that's true. Um, because if, if we lose Utah, Oklahoma, or Baylor, one of those three teams has to win potentially two of them. Uh, actually two of them. Well, if Utah wins, it's two of them. Right. Um, I think that if Utah won convincingly and we lost, they'd be in over us. I think if Oklahoma or Baylor won convincingly and we lost, they might jump us. Um, there's a chance that we could get in with a loss, but it's it's a pretty precarious situation for us to put ourselves in. And I, you know, if Chris Fowler and, and Jesse want to say, there's no way we don't drop out. I don't, I don't agree with that, but I think there's a way we get in with, with a loss. Obviously, we'd need some help, but uh, yeah. it's possible. I think Georgia would have to lose to LSU this weekend to open up that extra spot um, for either Utah or the winner of the Oklahoma-Baylor game. But I almost yeah. even think then that Utah may have to lose, uh, leaving us that Oklahoma-Baylor uh, winner. Um, yeah, I think, I think if Georgia wins – uh, that makes it there's tough. a chance yeah. there's a chance they jump us you know based on what the committee's been doing all year they they've based those moves where where teams jump other teams on quality wins if you beat a top team you move up they've done it multiple times this season i think if georgia wins that game they may go to 2 and lsu may drop to 3 and we drop to 4 um lsu might drop to 4 and they just flip flop them i don't know um but it's I think it's pretty clear from the way they've been doing it all year that if Georgia wins that game, they will be above LSU at least, you know, it's pretty likely they'll be above LSU. Yeah. And again, I mean, I, and I think but I don't if, think they're dropping LSU out. No. And I know if I think Georgia wins and, and we happen to lose, I do think that makes it a hell of a lot harder for us because you keep LSU and Georgia in, then there's just that one four spot left. So especially if Utah wins, um, plus you have the winner of the, the big 12 championship game. Like that makes it extremely hard for Clemson, uh, to stay in and, and kind of going back to these other top four teams right now, Ohio state, LSU and Georgia, listen on paper, they've got better res resumes as far as their 
wins are concerned. They're ranked opponents. Uh, they're, they're ranked wins. Obviously, Georgia has the one loss on the road to South Carolina, so we'd have to discuss uh, how much you take that into consideration. It was in the middle of the season. I think it would have uh, carried more weight had it come at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as wins are concerned, Clemson would definitely be fourth on that list. Yeah, and we, and we sure. have to we have to acknowledge that we have to admit. Yeah, that. I think you know quality of opponent. We're I think we are fourth on that list. Three or four weeks ago, that argument wasn't there because a lot of the big ticket games hadn't happened yet for the other teams. Uh, LSU had the strength of schedule, but but Georgia and Georgia did, but Ohio State hadn't played anybody until a couple weeks ago. Now they played several teams uh, and beaten all of them, obviously. But we've done what we could. We've <laughs> averaged uh, the first few games before the North Carolina game, we averaged more than a 30 point victory. And since then we've averaged uh, around a 40 point victory every week. So with the exception of that one, one point victory, we're absolutely destroying people. And that's really all we can do. Right. And so those are the scenarios of the things that could happen, right? All the possibilities um, of the different ways that things could shake out. But realistically speaking, I think we would all agree, and really when you listen to the national media, they say the same thing, that Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson are in a class uh, by themselves, separated from the rest of the pack. Uh, Even with Georgia sitting there at 11-1, they haven't been dominating people uh, like the top three teams have. Uh, Utah with the one loss, which doesn't look as bad anymore to USC. Um, They have now moved to number 22, Mm -hmm. 8-4 team. Uh, but still, they're not carrying as much weight being a Pac-12 team. Their their schedule's not particularly strong. Oklahoma has the bad loss to Kansas State. Uh, then Baylor, not an impressive resume, and only loss coming to Oklahoma. So when you look at the top three teams, and for Clemson, minus the North Carolina games, they've pretty much dominated teams all year long. And again, as I mentioned, they realistically speaking, they're in a class by themselves. And they've got to all be... I know they're all favored in their games coming up this weekend, but I mean, in my mind, I don't know what the lines look like yet, but I would say all three of them win by at least two touchdowns. I'd be surprised if they didn't. So Utah's only favored by six and a half. We're favored by 28 and change. Oklahoma's favored by nine against Baylor. Um, LSU's favored by seven against Georgia. And Ohio State's favored by 16 and a half against Wisconsin. And so I was going to say, I can definitely see that LSU-Georgia game being the one that has the has the closest line there. Uh, part of it being uh, the perceived, um, uh, the perception of how good Georgia is due to them being in the SEC. And again, they do have some good wins, but do they really pass the eye test? I, they they do, definitely don't pass they the don't, eye test. They, 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 they do, are they, a strong defensive team. Right. The only one in the SEC this year, actually South Carolina is probably one of the other better defensive teams. Um, but Georgia's the best defensive team in the SEC this year, and their offense is capable. It's not good. Jake Fromm has had an off year compared to expectations. Uh, DeAndre Swift is fantastic. Their receiving core is pretty good. Um, but they, they've kind of just been getting by teams. And granted, they have had a much harder schedule than, than we have and than other, many other teams have. But they've got two, three – four games, maybe five, depending on where you draw the line that they've like destroyed people this year. And they, you know, games against Auburn, A&M, Florida, uh, obviously the South Carolina game. 
and Notre Dame, they, they were really tight contests, all of them. So they've played a lot of close football games. It may do them well in the SEC championship. Um, it's going to probably be a low-scoring match. I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to hold LSU to the 20s, low 20s like they have in the other close games they've had, but we'll see. Uh, you know, if they win, they definitely have earned their shot at the playoff. Yeah, well, and the interesting thing talking about LSU, I I don't necessarily think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think if anybody's low scoring in that game, it's only going to be Georgia. I just think LSU's mm-hmm. offense is is much too dynamic. Although Auburn did did hold them, I think, to what the twenty four points, twenty three, uh, yeah, twenty three earlier this year. Um, but again, the interesting thing about LSU is, and I don't know who would have seen this coming, but uh, fifty to seven over Texas A and M over the weekend. Um, I don't know what that says about LSU's defense, and I think it's kind of funny how you hear some narratives saying that, well, that answers the question about LSU's defense. See, mm-hmm. told you weren't they, they weren't that bad. I'm like, no, you can't just take that game, right? It's, it's your entire body of work. Them holding Texas A&M to seven points does not make me think that uh, they've all of a sudden become world beaters on defense. No, I mean, the other quality teams that they played, Texas, they gave up 38. Florida, they gave up 28. And Florida's not a particularly strong offense. Uh, Auburn, they gave up 20 in that really close game. Alabama, they gave up 41. And uh, so a and really the only one that they held to a really low-scoring game with the good teams they played. Yeah, and that game, A&M turned it over three times. LSU did not turn it over at all. Mond had a horrible game. Those three turnovers were three interceptions by him. Mm-hmm. You know, he threw for less than 92 yards. So uh, I'm sh- sure I did not watch that game, uh, but – you know, I think probably just as much as at LSU, give them some credit. They held them to seven points. But how much of it was just Mond and, and the Texas A&M offense did not have a good game? Yeah. I mean, A&M was, was pretty disappointing. We were hoping that was going to be one of our marquee wins for the year. And it turns out they just weren't that good this year. Um, but given all the stuff that we just covered, I mean, what's your expectation for the playoff? Do you think Georgia loses to LSU – it's the other top three, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and you think Utah wins over Oregon to get in? Yeah, that's going to – that's, that's how I think it ends up uh, shaking out is Ohio State, LSU, Clemson remain in those top three positions. I can't see – unless Ohio State uh, plays a really close game against, against Wisconsin, which has moved back up to number eight <laughs> in the country mm-hmm. – um, so you can kind of see the committee kind of positioning things there to set Ohio State up for uh, maybe a much better win than than it may be. You saw what they did to them earlier this year. What was it like 38-7, 31-7, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it'll stay that way. If they do play a close game and LSU just dominates Georgia, I can see LSU and Ohio State flipping each other, which would probably not in the minds of the committee – uh, there be any controversy there because Alabama losing to Auburn over the weekend moves out that possibility of an SEC SEC matchup at that one four spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we may see some some juggling within the top four, but I think Georgia probably drops out. I think Utah has a really good shot to beat Oregon. If they don't, it'll be the winner of Baylor Oklahoma that gets in. Because um, I think if Georgia loses, unless it's super close. I could see them staying if Oklahoma and Baylor have like an ugly game, Utah loses and Georgia loses a close one, but it seems like unlikely that they'd stay in the top four with a loss. Yeah. I don't you see, got, you got to put the winner of Oklahoma Baylor in 
as a one loss champion over a two loss non-champion, right? You would think so, but the Big 12, I don't think either of those teams had a particularly strong schedule this year. Again, Oklahoma with a bad loss to K-State. Baylor, not a lot of great wins, though they would end up, uh, their one loss being to Oklahoma, they would avenge that should they win this weekend. But I think them sitting back there at the 6-7 position opens them up more to the possibility of being a left out no matter uh, who wins. I think the strongest possibility is, is there with Utah moving up into the top four. And that's how I see it playing out. I would anticipate... Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Utah coming out of this weekend. Yeah, I think I think I agree. Um, I mean, it's the Occam's Razor. It's the simplest answer for this weekend, which college football rarely gives us the simple solution. But um, I think that's what we're going to see this weekend. And I think in our in our season uh, preview and predictions at the beginning of the year that both you and I had LSU mm-hmm. in. Uh, I think I had Alabama in instead of Ohio State, so I missed on that I, one. I think I definitely had Alabama in. That was my top four. It was the three that are in there okay. plus Alabama. Okay. I had Utah in there. At, at you the, may have. You may I, have had this four. I definitely know. I didn't have this four because I had Bama instead of Ohio State, but I did have Utah, okay. which uh, I don't know how much I can pat myself on the back about that one, whether it was a guess, was there was it an educated guess? Probably not. Semi-educated. Um, but you know, Give yourself how, a little credit. You can read. That's how they roll, you know? Um, okay, so we mentioned uh, Georgia. They blew out Georgia Tech over the weekend. Had that ugly fight at the end of the game was really the big thing coming out of that. Georgia Tech, not a strong opponent. You're not going to really learn a lot from that game. Um, Utah blew out Colorado. Kind of same deal. Colorado's not a great team. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, I think that was one that we were all looking at to to hopefully see an upset there, thinking uh, Oklahoma State could give them a test. The interesting thing uh, for me is that Oklahoma actually did a decent job on defense, giving up only 335 Mm -hmm. yards and 16 points, which is quite phenomenal for them. Yeah, great for them, and we haven't given up 300 yards to anyone all year. Just like you mentioned before, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Really the cream of the crop in college football. Everybody else is a step below. So, yep. you know, the, the performances that these teams put up this last weekend, some of them were really good, but really good is not elite. Yeah, like Baylor beating Kansas 61-6. to It's like, who cares? Kansas is a horrible Whoop. football team. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah, what do we know about that? And even the Wisconsin win over Minnesota, like, I've got – no clue what to make of that. Minnesota's ranking has kind of been all over the place. They've been from mm-hmm. 17 to hanging around like the 810 spot all the way back up to 18, which makes me really feel that after that win over Penn State, that the committee really didn't know what to do with them because they were started at 17 being an undefeated team at that point. So they weren't highly regarded, even though they were undefeated. Then mm-hmm. you see them kind of jump in the mix. Then they lose. Uh, a couple games and they're back up to 18 at a, at a two loss team, which puts them way down there. As far as two loss teams go, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, two loss teams ahead of Minnesota. And a three loss team. Two and three, 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 loss teams. three two loss teams. Yeah. Yes. A bunch. So we don't think much as the, uh, the committee doesn't think much of, of Minnesota's season, which, you know, I would agree. They had one good win. Yep. Uh, so, although I am disappointed that they lost to Wisconsin because that does give us the rematch between Ohio State and Wisconsin, which after seeing the first uh, iteration of that, I'm not too excited about watching that one this weekend. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be super close. 
we'll probably see something very similar to last time. So that uh, moving on to the championship games this weekend, that does set up uh, some pretty interesting matchups. We'll talk about Clemson, Virginia later on. LSU, Georgia. We talked a little bit about this. I expect LSU to win this game. This is the one that has the, the, the closest point spread in Vegas. Again, I mentioned it. I think this could easily be a two-score, 14-point or more game from LSU. I think, it, I think it will be. So that's our picks here. We got LSU coming out of that game uh, to the Big Ten, Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Again, that's the rematch. I think Ohio State does it again and just blows them out. Wisconsin does not have a very dynamic offense. They have a good running back, but that's about it. Um, yeah, I think we see more points scored from Wisconsin this time. They're not going to hold them to seven, but I think I think uh, Ohio State still wins by at least two touchdowns. So who do you have in the Oklahoma-Baylor game? I think that's one that's a 6-7 matchup. Uh, that's the one that probably is the biggest toss-up. Yeah. Um, actually, Vegas sees it as a nine-point margin. Uh, for, for Oklahoma. By nine. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit wider than the other ones. I I would lean towards Oklahoma, but to be totally honest, I haven't watched a ton of big um, Big 12 football this year. So I don't know these teams that well. I know they put up a bunch of points. It's classic Big 12 limited defense. Um, we'll see, you know, bet the over on this one. So I will say this about Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts hasn't played particularly well in the last several games. So I think that's something to look out there. But I saw somebody mention this. It would be absolutely hilarious for Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts to get into the playoff with uh, Nick Saban and Alabama. Uh, some other yeah, game where only half the team shows redemption up for him. Yeah, good redemption for for Jalen after he got benched when they put in Tua, and you know, I he's not going to win the first game if they get in more than likely, but uh, be nice for him to get back. So that what that's where that's where it leaves me conflicted because then we go to the Pac-12 Utah Oregon matchup again. I think we're both predicting Utah to win this game and get in, but I think about who I want to be in. There's the storyline of Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts. Then there's the Utah, the team kind of coming out of nowhere, not the the blue blood getting in. That mixes up, give us a, you know some other team than the typical teams we usually see in the playoffs. But again, I think the thing that I'm still pulling for is Georgia to beat LSU. And I know as a Clemson fan, it's sacrilege to pull for Georgia to beat LSU. Uh, the main reason being, I would love to have the opportunity to blow through two SEC teams in the playoffs. And if Georgia wins, they jump up to probably three because they have that do have that one loss of South Carolina, whom we just beat. But that will put LSU back at four. And I think between LSU and Georgia, LSU has the best chance to beat Ohio State. Uh, I would rather play LSU and Ohio State in sequence because they are the most highly regarded teams. I want there to be no question that we were the best team in the country this year. If we get the air quotes easy matchup in the first round against Georgia, um, if they jumped up to three and we stayed, or we moved up to two, if they won, then we would probably we obviously play the winner of Ohio State LSU, but um, you know we would get the easy one in that case. And I I don't want to to Dabo's narrative to feed into it. I don't want any more complaints about uh, strength of schedule or they didn't deserve it. Um, Sort of the way that we shut everyone up with our 44-point 
uh, scoring output against Alabama in the championship last year, um, there was nothing anyone could say, right? We crushed them. And I want to, I just want to crush the best teams and, and make it clear that we're, we're the best. Yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, I don't care which two teams uh, we would beat en route to a second straight national championship, third in the last four years. I think that speaks for itself. It doesn't matter. I'll take it. Playing. I'll take it any way it comes. But ideally, I want to play the best teams. So, real quick before we move to the South Carolina game, let's not gloss over Auburn's forty-eight to forty-five victory over Alabama. This is the most points ever given up by a Saban coach Bama team. Um, you're starting to see some cracks in, in his in his defense there. You saw it last year in the national championship game. Obviously, rolling over to this year, they weren't that great of a of, of a defensive team. Uh, Tua was out again for what his like third or fourth game in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. Mac Jones has played well in his absence. He passed for 335 yards and four tees, four touchdowns in this game. He did have the two interceptions, uh, but Najee Harris was for 146 yards and a TD. So they played well in offense, and that shows in their 45 points. Bo Nix didn't really play that great for Auburn. He hasn't been particularly fantastic all year. Um, he had a 50% completion percentage, less than 200 yards passing. Javarius Whitlow rushed for 114 yards. That's nice, but uh, still, Bama just kind of shot themselves in the foot. Obviously, the big storyline is the one second at the end of the first half where Auburn got the field goal off, and then at the end of the game where Saban essentially got out coached by Gus Malzahn and then whined about it on that punt there uh, with just over a minute left in the clock that had Alabama not got called for the penalty, they would have had a lot of time to go down and at least give themselves the opportunity to tie it up with a field goal. That they yeah. missed, that they missed earlier with that chance. Yeah. Um, when they had the thirty-yarder uh, opportunity with two minutes left in the game. Yeah, it was a pretty wild set of circumstances that led to the final score. But I, I, uh, it was a great game. I, you know, Auburn showed that they are a really strong team, and it's not just their defense this year. They struggled more in this game than they have uh, a lot of the rest of the year. Defensively, they've they've been consistent defensively all year, and they gave up more in this game than I think any other game this year by a very wide margin, um, like I, almost twenty points more than they gave up in any other game this year. So, and I, and I will say this about Bama's offense: listen, that it, it kept on going even when Tua went down, and what that tells me is, listen, Bama, or Bama legitimately has is 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 a really good offensive football team. Just like Absolutely. just like LSU is, they've been really good all year long. I'd still be interested to see had Tua not gotten injured and then come back and play that game um, rusty against LSU. He got off to the slow start, had those couple turnovers. Had he not been coming off injury for that game, and had he still been with them for this Auburn game, I still think we see Alabama uh, ultimately in the top four. I mean, that was my prediction at the beginning of the year. I totally agree. I think a healthy Tua puts Alabama in the top four. Either they or LSU get in without, uh, obviously, the SEC championship only one of them can win it. But that, that was my expectation coming into the year, is that LSU would be as good as we've seen them to be, and Alabama would sneak in probably as the four seed. Um, I was really, you know an LSU believer at the beginning of this year. They're a really strong team, but Bama is Bama. They have clearly the offense this year is incredible. Um, it kept rolling. They still scored like a hundred points in the last couple games with 
uh, with Mac Jones at quarterback. They, they can put up points. They just didn't quite have the defense. And once Tua got hurt, it was just not quite enough there to get over the top. Yeah, even a team like Auburn being able to put 48 points on, on a Bama defense. Like, Auburn's not a good offensive football team. But it's so funny. Like, it's completely flipped in the SEC. It's almost like we're watching uh, big 12 games half the time. Yeah. Yep. A, lot, a lot of offense, and who knows where the defense went. You know, uh, that's why we keep winning. Because we, we have the best defense in the country this year. Ohio State and I, us are, are right next to each other, but um, we play better defense than those SEC schools do the last couple of years. And I think that's why you hear a lot of pundits uh, pick Ohio State and Clemson as really rankings aside the two best teams in the country because we're, we're both the most complete teams Ohio state was a really good defense all year long. Uh, I think Clemson now is the best scoring defense in the country. Yes. Obviously, obviously, Yardage wise Ohio state is so it's they're neck and neck and they're both like fractions of a yard or fractions of a point off of each other. Yeah. We both really haven't played uh, many dynamic offenses. Yeah. Also true. So a lot of good football coming up this weekend. Uh, I think obviously going to be the most exciting uh, football weekend of the year in college football. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, stuff shakes out. If it does go chalk in the top three and then once ends up happening with that fourth position, but uh, we'll be finding out soon. So Sam, let's uh, now flip it over to the South Carolina game and uh, talk about that six Pete. So 38-3 win in Williams-Price over the weekend for the Tigers. The, uh, Clemson has now won six in a row over South Carolina for the first time since 1940. Uh, the Gamecocks and their fans seem to have no faith coming into this game that they even stood a chance. You heard that from uh, Gamecock fans really not all Thanksgiving week, but even the week prior to that with both teams having a bye and two weeks to rest going into the game. From the get-go, you could see the stadium wasn't full. By the end of the first half, uh, most of the Gamecock fans had filed out. And towards the end of the game, pretty much empty stands and the seats that were filled were orange. Yeah, I mean, there, there really wasn't ever a chance that this game was going to be close. South Carolina started it with a fantastic goal line stand uh, where they stopped us on four runs in a row right with inside the five-yard line. Um, and then, you know, the game happened. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was never really competitive. Um, if they'd been able to capitalize on that, who knows, maybe things go differently, but it, uh, we looked really good. Trevor Lawrence had another fantastic game, no turnovers for like the third or fourth game in a row. ETN had a very inefficient night, but ended up with two touchdowns, setting the record for most touchdowns, most rushing touchdowns, and total touchdowns by an ECC running back. Um, yeah, beating so, J- James Conner, who's a pretty mm-hmm. damn good running back. Incredibly good. Um, and Conner did it, did he do it in three or four years? But ETN in only three years has now holds that record, uh, whether Conner did it in three or four. And he's got at least one more game to play, probably at least two, uh, hopefully three. Well, so, he's, de- he's definitely got two more to play. Well, I guess unless we make a lower uh, bowl game we, and, yeah, and, he, exactly. and, he, and he pulls an Alabama and decides not to play. Yeah, uh, so at least two, hopefully three games remaining for him to extend that record. Um, we it, This was very, very typical of the season. We looked good. We 
it was never a doubt. The defense looked really strong, only getting 174 yards from scrimmage against the, the Gamecocks. There's not a ton more to say about this game. I mean, we'll go into more detail, but it, it was a shellacking. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I still thought we should have scored more points, and I was anticipating in my prediction that, that we could get over 60 for the first time this year, I think. Have we scored over 60 this year? I don't think so. I don't think we have. Um, I was expecting 50s. So that, yeah. first, that first touchdown drive hurt my prediction because, you know, they stopped us at the goal line. But And I, I certainly think that that could have happened, but what I what I didn't anticipate is that overall it seemed like we played a little bit vanilla on offense. There were a few trick plays, the flea flicker on the opening play mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, the attempted pass from Amari Rogers later on, later on, which by the way, I didn't know Amari was left-handed. That was an interesting little nugget. To it was surprising. This game. Uh, so, but overall it was pretty vanilla. You did see Tony Elliott and uh, the offensive coaching staff start to switch it up a little bit, break from their, their tendencies, going more fi- four wide receiver sets, moving wide receivers around to different spots on the field. And then from, from stack sets, we actually had two touchdowns on the game. So interesting to see their play call starting to evolve a little bit. Uh, but that being said, again, it was, it was pretty much vanilla. We did what we had to do. We consistently moved the ball down the field. Uh, some mistakes here and there. Um, Trevor Lawrence was definitely a little shaky early on. He was uh, off target mm-hmm. several times. Um, and then ETN on that goal line uh, stand uh, for South Carolina to open the game, missed the hole there a couple times. But otherwise, uh, a, a great, efficient game for the offense. Yeah, Lawrence started off shaky for sure. Uh, but then uh, across the end of this first half and beginning of the second half, he had a streak of 18 straight completions that really helped his uh, passer rating and his performance for the game. Um, T Higgins was incredible. Only three catches, but two touchdowns. One of which was that 65 yard bomb that, that Lawrence threw after scrambling around for a second in the pocket. Justin Ross had an awesome game, nine catches, 111 yards and, and one touchdown. Um, it was just the passing game looked really good once Trevor got over his early bumbles. Yeah, so once he settled down and then T had a couple drops on the first drive, which, to be fair, one was the underthrown ball on the flea flicker, and then one, I think, thrown low to him on a crossing route that he didn't come up with. But just kind of brings to mind, it seems like we've had more drops from our wide receivers this year than we have in the recent past. Yeah, I don't know if – I'm sure somebody tracks drops at the college level, but uh, it definitely has felt like more. When when Mike Williams was there, he had a bunch of drops – earlier in his career and it was a, like a common thread where it's like, Oh, Mike dropped another one in the end zone, stuff like that. But for the most part, we don't really usually deal with drops frequently. And it's been, it seems like it's happening at least once or twice a game so far this year. Yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on as we go into uh, to postseason play. Um, but there were again, a lot of positives on this. We keep coming back to Trevor Lawrence and his, and his uh, running ability. He, uh, had some big runs in this game, several for first down. He averaged 8.3 yards a carry, including that great escape from the pocket in the two minute drill there mm-hmm. in the first half. That was, uh, dare I say Deshaun like, I mean, he, he, the announcers were talking about it throughout the game, but he really is a pretty good runner. Uh, he's not the nimblest. But when he gets going, he gets going pretty fast, and he can cover ground like like nobody's business. Those that six six frame lets him get going pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe I should say uh, kind of Deshaun like, but in slow motion. Maybe that's more uh, appropriate. I will mm-hmm. say, 
Blocking downfield is not one of his greatest strengths, though. At least he didn't get hurt. I, uh, but he like st- he stayed in front of Amari for that whole run, uh, and then you know kind of dodged out of the way. Or was it Justin who had that catch? Um, but it was it was terrifying because you're just you're hoping and praying that he doesn't just get laid out by some defender who can take a free shot at him. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, dude, if you're not going to block anybody, then just get out of the way. But it was kind of funny. Like, he was kind of trying to get in somebody's way. Amari caught up, and then Amari got slowed down, and Trevor kind of caught up to him again. And he was mm-hmm. just kind of getting in the way. Nobody yep. really touched him, but he wasn't exactly blocking anybody. No, he was he was obstructing defenders, but also sort of obstructing Amari. And, uh, and then at the end of the run, Amari legitimately ran into him as he was getting tackled. So, you know... Not something he's super good at, uh, but also not something we really want him doing in general. So I'm okay with it. No, and the announcers were talking about the end of the game, too, about Trevor Lawrence running late in the game. He had that one run that they started complaining, hey, the game's well in hand. Why is Trevor Lawrence running? Then he immediately ran immediately, it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the second play. And I was like, Haha, screw you. Um, but the so second I, one was a really good run, too. It's like a yeah. PR game, got it down to three or four. And But we've, we've been seeing him do that for the, the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and really coming on and doing it better this year. So, I mean, it's just part of the game plan. Injuries are part of football. Obviously, you don't want to put guys in, especially your star players in positions, uh, being <laughs> reckless with them. But at the same time, like, he's got to do this stuff in the game uh, to get reps and be prepared come playoff time. Yep. Along that same vein, it was interesting that, the, that we had the starters in as late as we did. Um, you know, it was 30 30- – one to, to three by the end of the third quarter. And we scored a touchdown really quickly in the fourth. And that's finally when we took the starters out. Um, it was like maybe eight or nine minutes left in the game with a 35-point lead that we finally took Trevor and, and BTN and T and crew out of the game. I think the coaching staff is probably starting to prepare these guys for more challenging and deeper games where they're going to need the stamina to go all four quarters, um, make sure they're getting the reps in because they haven't had to play many close games this year. So those, those types of games are coming and, you know, you got to have those fourth quarter reps under your belt before you can do it in a pressurized situation. Well, I think a lot of it has to do, too, with uh, kind of going back to Dabo's comments after the game. Like, a 38-3 win looks a hell of a lot better than a 31-3 win over a bad South Carolina team. So I think it was part of that, too, um, uh, you know, getting some style points there. I know we hate to talk about that, but I, I think that was a large part of it. It was funny. The, uh, the announcers uh, gave a stat uh, before the fourth quarter that I think ETN had only had four fourth-quarter carries coming into this game. Then I think he had two or three more in the fourth quarter of this game. But, I mean, that just kind of paints the picture for you. That's a pretty amazing uh, number. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty low. I can't believe that. Um, And then, you know, finally here on the offense, we talked about all the positives, but we you did see Jackson Carmen go down. That was a scary moment for, I think, uh, all of Clemson Nation. He is the most important piece of that offensive line. Uh, there at left tackle, you saw Jordan McFadden come in and spell him uh, after he went down with the ankle injury, and he did okay. Uh, he did get beat one or two times, but that would have been a huge loss going into the playoffs because you know that left tackle position we've been spoiled over the past several years with Mitch Hyatt 
uh, playing there for four years and I don't think maybe missed like one or two starts. Um, I don't but, think he missed any. Yeah, we haven't succumbed to injury at that position. And that would have been a huge loss for us. But uh, good to see him. Uh, Dabo said after the game that he's fine, no issues there. Yeah, it's that's kind of the worst thing that you want to avoid late in these games. You don't want your starters getting hurt in meaningless non-crunch time minutes, right? These guys are in when we're up 30-plus points. You hope they get out healthy and move on the next week. Uh, it's part of the reason that, that the coaching staff spills these guys so much during the regular season, parts to get the uh, younger, less experienced guys more more snaps. But also, it's nice to have our starters more rested and have fewer chances to get hurt. So, um, like I said, it's getting into, you know, it's time for postseason play. So these guys are going to have to play more snaps. So it's good to have them out there, but we just want to avoid any serious injuries. Yeah, well, also knowing that we're going to have about three weeks off after the ACC championship game and, and until the semifinal game, should we make it, um, that also helps too, knowing that you're going to get that rest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that wraps it up for the offensive side of the ball. Overall, overall, pretty dominant game, 527 total yards, 12 of 17 on third down. That was one thing we didn't talk about is um, earlier in the year, we saw this where Clemson kind of struggled on first and second down, but really opened up on third. They kind of went away for a while, but came back in this game. It'll be interesting to see how they clean that up going forward or if it was kind of a result of us playing a little bit of vanilla. South Carolina was keying on ETN to stop the run. And so that really led to some third and longs, but they executed those beautifully. Again, 12 for 17 on third down. That's a that's a great stat. Um, so let's talk about the defense. So South Carolina, not a great offense, and then hit uh, with Brian Edwards being out for the game, their best wide receiver uh, due to injury. Uh, Helinski, their quarterback, freshman quarterback, he's been banged up. Turns out that uh, uh, he was playing with a knee injury, and I think he's it was a sprain and maybe with his ACL. I, I yeah. can't, yeah, I can't so recall what I read. But, minor meniscus tears in there as well, I think. Yeah, which makes it even more curious why they kept running him over to the sideline to get plays. I don't, was it to keep it stretched out? I don't know. It was, just seemed like a really weird move. Um, but overall, the defense, aside from that 175-yard drive that ended in the field goal that South Carolina put together, they played phenomenal in this game, only giving up three points, gave up less than 200 yards, and South Carolina was only 5 of 15 on third down. So got to love what you see from this defense. You're starting to hear the talk that this is possibly uh, a better defense than even last year. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. And just just considering how good the defensive line was last year and that we have all but one of the guys in the starting secondary coming back this year. So, but man, just kudos to Brent Venables. We say it over and over again. Now, I mentioned it in a previous episode that I thought he should be the front runner for the Burles Award again this year. But I think I've since read that once you win it, it you have to wait like three years before you're eligible again. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if he's passed that waiting period yet, but he... Honestly, the last three or four years, he'd have won it every year if he was eligible. Yeah, which I don't know why you have to wait. Like, if you're the best, you're the best. Get the award. They don't do that with national championships. Like, you win one, you have to wait three years. <laughs> oh, that suck. Um, the Gamecocks had seven possessions that produced eight or fewer yards. Man. Uh, Sweet. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an incredible stat in and of itself. Um. But highlights from this, obviously, when South Carolina had that goal line stand at the beginning of the game to turn around for Darren Kendrick to have that interception, 
that was a huge uh, uh, momentum killing moment in the game. South Carolina obviously feeling good about themselves after that opening goal line stand. Mm-hmm. They start to get the crowd behind them, but Clemson goes down and scores uh, two unanswered touchdowns. It's fourteen to nothing, and from there, you know, the game's over. Um, played really good run defense up the middle of this game. It was interesting seeing Feaster out there. He did break off a few good runs, so kudos from him. But I think my biggest takeaway from that was it was really great to see the team taking pictures with him and exchanging uh, and him exchanging jerseys with ETN after the game. Really cool to see that that bond that they still have. Of course, you've read the stuff from all the players. Nobody held anything against him, said that he had to do what was best for him. But uh, I think what it really shows is that none of us should feel betrayed by Feaster going to South Carolina. Like, just get over it at this point. The players are cool with it. Just be cool. Yeah. I, uh, so first of all, defensively, Isaiah Simmons, you, we say it every episode, I think, but he just is a freak of nature and is incredible to watch, especially early in this game. He was all over the field um, getting tackles for loss. He ended the night with ta- 10 tackles, a sack, two tackles for loss, and a pass defense uh, where he broke it up on the fly. Um, uh, yeah, that was a good job by him to make up some ground on a uh, shy. That was a there. really nice play. Um, but he just, he's everywhere and he's so much fun to watch. Uh, announced earlier today, I believe he was the ACC defensive player of the year. Yep. Travis ETN, offensive player of the year and ACC overall player of the year. So uh, that's the first time in a really long time, if ever, that one team has had all three of those awards two years in a row. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then kudos, you know, talk about Isaiah Simmons, but it's really it's the whole secondary that's been a force this year. And I believe him, Muse, and Terrell all made ACC defensive, all ACC defensive first team. And then I know Kendrick was in there somewhere, second or third mm-hmm. team or something like that. So, and a couple of linebackers, or I think yeah. it was, was it Skalski or Chad Smith that got in there too? But uh, anyway, Skalski got honorable mention. Gotcha. So, I mean, this is the reason, right, why this defense is possibly being considered better than last year is because the back seven from the get-go this year has been solid, and it's really allowed that inexperienced defensive line to grow up throughout the year, which they have. And this defense is rounding into form at the right moments. They're going to get a good test against Bryce Perkins this weekend in the championship game. But, uh, man, uh, again, what a job all around. Yeah, just incredible. Uh, you know, 12th game in a row this year with less than 300 yards from scrimmage for the other team. This this week, like you said, less than 200. Um, that's a really, really, really hard thing to do that we do regularly. Um, and then to Feaster, it was, it was nice to see him out there. Uh, and I definitely was never one of the people that was like, I can't believe he's going to South Carolina. How dare he? It was more, I can't believe he's going to South Carolina. That doesn't seem like a good fit for him. Um, so well, that's what I thought. Like the same thing with like Kelly Bryant. I think when that's the school that you end up going to, kind of a a mediocre to subpar SEC team, like I don't really know how much you're going to get highlighted because your offense and the offensive line is not going to be that good. Um, at least like ETN – I understand it. He's from South Carolina and wanted to stay close. Maybe had a little Feaster. bit of chip. Yeah. Well, sorry with Feaster. Maybe had a little bit of chip on his shoulder, um, wanting to play against Clemson and prove himself. But 
Kelly Bryant had an out, like learning that Missouri wasn't going to a uh, bowl game, possibly very likely wasn't going to a bowl game this year. And unfortunately for him, the season did not end well, injured with injury, and he will not be playing in a bowl game. But uh, back to Feaster, yeah, I mean, whatever. He had to make decisions best for himself. I wish him all the best of luck uh, uh, making the NFL. I do not think he will be drafted, but I think he will certainly get a shot as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, I think uh, definitely for he and Kelly, they're confusing decisions. I think Feaster will probably at least get on to a practice squad or something um, to try and you know make his way into the NFL. He's probably not going to get drafted highly if he goes in the draft at all. Uh, but to go try and you know become a feature back at a school like South Carolina, he only got 124 carries this year. And well, and not to mention, there was zero chance that South Carolina was going to play in, in a conference championship game or in the playoffs this year. I think he was also considering Virginia Tech. And had he gone to Virginia Tech, listen, Virginia Tech was, you know, a few points away from being in the ACC championship game against Clemson. That's yeah. a bigger stage to be playing Clemson on, and at least you're playing in the postseason. Yep. Um, I think there are definitely better choices for him to sort of uh, put himself on the stage to to look impressive. Same thing for Kelly, uh, especially once Mizzou was likely to miss postseason play. Um, but, you know, the decisions they made, we wish them luck going forward, and hopefully they are able to turn into successful NFL players. Yeah, with Kelly Bryant, I mean, he really had no option but to go to a team that there would be no competition for the starting quarterback position. As a running back, you know you're going to split carries. Um, I, I think part of it is also just probably weren't a lot of teams out there that were willing to kind of give Kelly Bryant as, as much as he wanted, maybe. I'm uh, sure. As far as having the best opportunity to definitely be the starter on opening day. But I echo your sentiments. Best of luck to both of them. I do not think Kelly Bryant ends up and definitely does not end up in the NFL as a quarterback. I can't see that no. happening. But I could see him switching a receiver or something, though. Well, maybe that's what he should have done at Clemson, uh, although we're pretty stacked there. Tight end. Tight end is an area. <laughs> <laughs> Could have used him at tight end this year. Um, but, hey, Braden Galloway's coming back for the playoffs. Yeah, very true. Uh, so let's wrap up with special teams here. A couple interesting points. I was shocked when I saw the opening kickoff, kickoff and uh, ETN was returning it. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching in a bar, and there were two guys sitting next to me when when kickoff happened, and they're like, "Oh my god, why is ETN back there?" And then he broke a run for about thirty five yards, and I was like, "That's why." Um, but it's I I think it's a great weapon. I, obviously, we don't want to do it all year because there's a much higher risk of injury on uh, return plays on kickoffs, but. He is by far the fastest and shiftiest player we have on the roster. I want him returning those kicks. If if he can get ahead of seam going, he will run through people and he will run past people. Yeah, and I think it's the philosophy. We're in championship mode. Like you put your best guys back there. Obviously, early in the year, you don't put ETN back there to preserve his health. But at this point, I can't imagine them showing this in this game and also Darian Kendrick returning punts. I can't imagine them showing those two things in this game and not intending to do that going for, further forward because otherwise it does seem like that would have been kind of a 
reckless health risk. Yeah, agreed. I think if it's if it's not part of the plan going forward, it was a weird call. Um, so I hope that it is. I think he's our best chance to break off a return touchdown, um, at least on kickoffs. So, you know, I, I was excited to see it. And he, just like when he gets the ball in the backfield, there's a chance he takes it to the house every time he touches it. So I, the more times he touches it, the better. Well, and he's only got, at best, three games left for Clemson. So feed him the rock, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, BT Potter missed a 32 yard field goal. Don't know what's up with him in the short field goals. He can't seem to, uh, maybe we should like get a penalty moving back a little bit. Yeah, so just getting back to 40 plus. It seems to be better 40 plus. Uh, but, but Hey, well, Spears, man, great day, including a 51 yarder. He landed inside the 20. I think it was two that he got inside the 20. They did that great mm-hmm. job. Terrell and Simmons, a great job downing that punt that was going into the end zone. Isaiah yeah. S- Simmons about knocked, uh, AJ Terrell unconscious, but. That was a that was a pretty awesome play. Which this is part of the reason why starters have been playing on special teams for so long now. Yes, it's 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 the kick coverage, but you know having your athletes out for a play like that, you've continued to see even when starters have come out in the game on offense and defense late in games this year that you're still seeing the starters out there on special teams. And you remember several years ago when that was a huge issue for the Tigers. We haven't talked about it in quite some time. Yeah, love seeing those guys out there that play. Uh, to save from going to the end zone was awesome. Uh, both guys got about three feet in the air and batted it back into uh, the field of play. Um, Potter is, is a bit of a confounding thing. Like he makes the 45 plus yard field goals and then struggles with stuff in the, in the low thirties. Um, you know, nobody else on the roster is any, any better uh, as it turns out, but it would be great if we could have someone reliable inside 40 yards, just making some field goals. Yeah, no, hopefully, the- hopefully he figures it out for the playoff um, and gets it a groove. But you know, it's it's a problem. It's missed points. Yeah, and it, you know we haven't obviously needed the, those field goals except in the North Carolina game where I think he missed that that one on was it the opening drive? Um, but you know we're going to start playing better competition now. Virginia is probably the best team that we've seen all year up into this point. Uh, so those points matter and God forbid we come down to needing a field goal to win a game because I don't think many of us would have a high confidence level, maybe 50, 50 that he'd make it. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's 58% on the year. He's 10 for 17 on kicks and he's missed four under 40 yards. So, you know, it's just, it's not that good. And hopefully we, we don't need to rely on it. Okay, so that wraps it up for Clemson's 38-3 victory over South Carolina. That'll be six in a row. We'll take it. Um, now we're staring down all fingers. Um, so we do some tin bombs. It was funny. I saw that Dabo actually showed some uh, video reels of kids five-bombing five him, kids and other people, South Carolina fans, five-bombing him to the players to give them a little extra motivation. I really love how he's able to – to find this stuff. And that's why I have no problem with his rant at the end of the game. He's finding reasons to fire his team up um, to get them, you know, in the right mindset to play these games, especially when your schedule is weak as it has been this year. So love it, man. Uh, So before we wrap up, (sighs) so before we wrap it up here today, let's talk about the ACC championship game coming up this weekend against Virginia. 
So just like last year, it came down to the last weekend of the regular season. And this year, the ACC Wheel of Destiny has landed square on Virginia to have the opportunity to get blown out by Clemson in the ACC championship game. It is the seventh coastal team to represent that division in the ACC, ACC championship game in seven years. I pose this question to you guys, Sam. Par- uh, parody or pitiful? Uh, a little bit of both. Um it's definitely pitiful that none of those teams have figured it out in the last seven years more than once. Uh, but there is definitely a level of parity in the Coastal. The teams are evenly balanced, but not in a good way. It's not that they're all good. They're all just kind of middle-of-the-road teams. Um, it'd be great, obviously, for our strength of schedule and the whole ACC is weak problem uh, if one or two of those teams could – could elevate themselves and, and improve. And, you know, Virginia Tech, Virginia both had uh, eight wins going into the, their matchup this weekend. If we could, you know, just get them to nine each, 10 each, that would be great. Um, one other ACC team in the conversation for the playoff would be super helpful, or at least, you know, top 15. Every team we beat this year that was ranked or close to ranked, uh, was like in the high, the high 20s, like 23, 24, 25, right. or just were- outside the top 25. So every time we beat them, they drop down. They're no longer ranked. Uh, it happened with AM, It happened with um, – it's probably going to happen with Virginia. It's just we're not playing good teams. We're playing okay teams. Yeah, and Virginia Virginia Tech kind of played that game. Virginia Tech going mm-hmm. into this uh, their game last week. It was week, 24th. Right, was yeah. the ranked team, and then Virginia jumps them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I would say overall this year, Virginia has been the most consistent. They did have a little blip in the middle of the year where they lost three out of four. All of them were on the road. Uh, one was to a Notre Dame team, one to a Miami team that actually started playing decent towards the middle of the year and finished third in the Coastal Division. And then one against a Louisville team that ultimately ended up seven and five. They had a bad loss to Kentucky, who was using like a mm-hmm. wide receiver as quarterback. Um, bad loss to them over the weekend, but did finish second in the uh, in the Atlantic, five and three in the conference. So, relatively speaking, as far as the conference positioning is concerned, those losses don't look that bad on the national landscape. They do, but still, looking at our schedule, Virginia is going to be the best team. Uh, you know, North Carolina was not a game because North Carolina is a great team. They had a great game. They have a really good young quarterback. Um, but I think overall, Virginia has clearly been the best team, most consistent team in the ACC besides Clemson this year. Yeah, I think they uh, had a pretty weak schedule as well. Um, but they, besides that three, that four-game stretch with a Duke crushing thrown into that, uh, uh, that losing streak, they handled their business well. You know, their, their non-conference games against Old Dominion, William & Mary, and Liberty – you can throw out the window that not worth anything. Like but, schedule somebody. Like seriously, that's, that's weak. Like if right? you want to raise the perception, like schedule somebody, anybody. Yeah. Who's, the, who's there? In Notre they Dame. They also play Notre Dame. Yeah. So Notre Dame counted as their other one. So in most years, they probably have like one. I know they've played like UCLA in the recent past, I believe, and teams like that. But at least schedule. Something at least schedule a conference USA or um, it, uh, the what the AAC, yeah, any uh, the, the, anyone, American, the American conference at least schedule one of those teams, 
Yeah, some, something. Um, but their ACC play, you know, they went six and two, only losses to Miami and Louisville, um, both by less than 10 points. They were close matchups, pretty low scoring. Uh, their defense was pretty decent throughout the year. Not amazing, but pretty good. And Bryce Perkins is, is really strong. Um, he had a really good year. And, you know, their running game is him for the most part. Wayne Taulapapa. Uh, yeah, good try. I, like I, right? I, I was trying to pronounce that uh, before the show as I was looking into them. And so I just decided to call him their second leading rusher. He is exactly that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Hasis Dubois is their, their leading receiver. But there's, you know, it's not that many weapons out there. It's really all about Bryce Perkins and the plays that he's, he makes for the receivers. They're capable of catching it and making a little bit of a uh, run after catch once they do. But it's, it's the Bryce show. And we'll see if we can slow him down. Uh, I'm confident that we can. Worst thing comes to worst. We just put Isaiah Simmons as a spy and don't let him go anywhere. And Isaiah will, will chase him down. But, you know, we've got a pretty swift defensive line. The guys that are getting in there, they're, they're fast for defensive linemen. And I think we're going to be able to contain them pretty well. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you're a one-dimensional offense, we know what Brent Venables can do with you. That being said, Bryce Perkins, very good quarterback, probably going to play in the NFL, uh, very talented. But it's all him, like you mentioned. We're going to see a lot of RPOs and zone reads with Perkins in there. They tend to use a lot of short passes to set up manageable third downs for him and his legs. So uh, the Clemson defense is going to have to play a very disciplined game in this one. I think to our advantage, uh, we haven't given up a lot of big plays all year. A lot of that has to do with the strength of our of our back seven. Um, so whereas Clemson has been snake bit a bit in years past by letting some of those big plays go, that has not been as much of an issue. So that works to our advantage in this game. Again, I, I think with a one-dimensional offense that um, – they played well this year, but when your second leading rusher has 416 yards, he does have 12 TDs, but that tells you who the guy is. That's Perkins. We just have to stop him, and that's the key to winning the game, uh, at least on the, on the defensive side of the ball for us. Yep. Totally agree. Um, on the offensive side for us, listen, Bronco Mendehall is a very good coach, especially on defense. You see a little bit of flavor of his uh, defensive coaching days in this defense. They're ranked 27th in the country. They're really great on third down. Uh, but that is also an area that the Tigers have excelled at this year. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. But overall, a really good disciplined defense that tackles well. They've gotten a ton of sacks. They like to uh, bring pressure with their outside linebackers who are really good. So this also may be the toughest defensive test that Clemson has faced all year. So I think you you combine uh, this offense and this defense between Perkins probably being the best quarterback and this defense being the best defense that Clemson has faced. It's going to make for a, a pretty interesting game. I think overall, I do not see us winning this game by necessarily three or four scores. Uh, what did you say the line was in this game? Did you say it was 20 and a half? 20, Jesus, that seems like an awful lot. I think this game is probably more in like the 35 to 17 range. I'm going to give uh, Virginia the benefit of the doubt here as being the best team that we will have played this year. I think they probably are the best team that we'll have played. Um, but I still see us scoring 40 plus and then them scoring 20 or less. I think we win by three scores at least. I think there's a really good chance we cover that line. 
it's probably a little bit high. I'd probably put us in like a mid twenties margin, like a 45 to 20 type win or a, you know, 42, 17, something like that. Um, but there's a good chance that our defense just shuts them down, contains Bryce Perkins and they only put up seven or 10 and we still go for 40 and we get another 30 point win. Yeah, that's the real wild card that uh, there's Bryce Perkins. You know, when Notre Dame really started keying in on him in their game, they really shut him down. And you would expect the Clemson defense is going to do the same. And I think we – I mean, we keep – I don't know. We haven't given up more than 14 points all year outside of the North Carolina game when we gave up 20. You know, it would not be surprising to see us hold uh, Virginia to three points. This is the Virginia team, largely most of the same players back that beat South Carolina like – 31 to nothing or 38 to nothing in the bowl game last year. I can't quite recall what the score was. I know it was ridiculous, whatever it was. Um, so listen, give them credit where credit is due. We can't overlook this team. They're fighting for a lot as well. They are obviously coming off that emotional win over Virginia Tech, a team they hadn't beat in 14 years or something like that, which is 16, another, I think. Yeah. 16, 15, 16 mm-hmm. years, another incredible stat. But uh, Bronco Mendenhall has them trending up. So ought to be a, at least a good, a decent game for a while. I do not expect us to feel too comfortable by the end of the first half. No, I think it'll probably stay close for a little while. Um, and our, our depth will probably wear them down towards the end of the game, but it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not overly worried. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and at the same time, if it ends up being 56 to 7. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. Maybe I'm just hoping for some sort of interest. I think I think that outcome is far more likely than another North Carolina-esque result where it's you know low 20s each and we win by three. Yeah, I see no scenario in which we win this game by less than 14 points unless there's like injuries or something like that. Yeah, uh, you know, Trevor's not going to have – like the quarter he had against Louisville, he's not going to throw three picks in a game. He's not going to, ETN's not going to fumble it four times. So unless somebody gets hurt uh, or Virginia's defense has the game of life, while Bryce Perkins has the game of his, this isn't going to be close. Yeah, Clemson has been kicking on all cylinders. There's no reason to think that uh, there would be a letdown in this game, um, especially <laughs> Dabo kind of put it out there for him. Like, listen, I said these things. Now you got to back me up, right? Uh, go out, win the game, dominate, and uh, we'll see in the playoffs, hopefully. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Uh, but before we go really quick, uh, Sam, you will be back on with me to start talking some basketball here as we start to get into some weekends without college football. Um, the team is, what, 5-3 and three right now? Some all losses to teams that will probably or have a good chance of making the NCAA tournament, but some mm-hmm. disappointing losses um, especially that loss at Minnesota the other night. Yeah, that one just kind of fell apart. It was close at halftime, uh, and we just we looked different in the Minnesota game than we had the rest of the year. We looked tentative and overmatched, uh, which has not been the case the rest of the year. We played uh, a ranked Colorado team down to the wire, uh, kind of fumbled it away at the end, classic Brad Brownell. Um, and the Virginia Tech game we lost to open the season with ACC play. Uh, was very close until the last couple of minutes and uh, a couple of costly turnovers let them get away with it. Well, and just like um, you can't judge Kentucky for lo- losing to Evansville and uh, what Duke. Duke lost to 
uh, Austin P. Um, no, to uh, Stephen at Stephen F. Austin. Austin. Yeah, Steve, Steve, Austin. same thing. Whatever. Um, <laughs> like basketball teams, especially college basketball teams, like these upsets happen early in the year as all these new players uh, get to learn how to play with each other. And Clemson is experiencing a very similar thing right now. Uh, obviously, not the elite players that those other teams have, but uh, freshmen are playing. Got a ton of transfers in there. So you're going to have to give this team a little bit of time to develop. We haven't seen a bad loss yet to a bad team, and that's what you want to avoid yep. in non-conference play. we got Florida State coming up next as we got a few ACC games sprinkled in here. I think any of us like the opening with Virginia Tech, um, but the ACC expanded their schedule, so you're just going to start seeing more of these games earlier on in the season. Florida State's going to be a tough test. Let's see how they bounce back. Yeah, it's at, at Tallahassee. Um, so it'll be a good challenge for us. This is probably the best team that we've played so far this year. Colorado's up there uh, as well. But it's uh, Leonard Hamilton's teams are always really, really good. Um, and they've got some, some good scoring guys at this point so far this year. Um, Trent Forrest is, you know, really, really good. And they've got a bunch of guys that contribute and can shoot and can score. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. They also characteristically have a really strong defense. But, you know, this, this season's shaping up pretty well so far. We've handled the business that we've needed to handle. We had a really nice win in overtime against TCU with a giant comeback in the second half that TCU fumbled it away, and we actually capitalized on it, which was really nice to see. And then we played four not-so-good teams that we blew away and didn't struggle with. So um, a couple of close losses. The Minnesota one was kind of a wasted opportunity to get another quality win. Um, but, you know, it's there's still lots of season left to play. I think we're projected to finish 11th or 12th, 13th, something like that in the ACC. It's, it's very low down in the ACC. I think, as usual, we'll slightly outperform that because we get underestimated. Um, and we've got guys coming back from injury in the next month or so. Um, three guys that are potentially starters in Clyde Trap, Jonathan Bear, and, um, and our, our freshman that got hurt, hurt his foot, Chase Hunter. Um, so this team has potential. We are pretty deep when healthy, and uh, they actually could be fun to watch. Yeah, I think it's really all going to hinge on how effective Bear and Trap can be coming back. We're very shallow at point guard, really Dawes between uh, Dawes and Curran Scott, who's not a natural point guard. They've been handling the those duties all year long and just we're not a big team. And you saw uh, Minnesota really start to pound us mm-hmm. um, I- inside in this game. We have gotten some big guys into foul trouble in opposing teams this year uh, early on the games, which has been helpful. But like another big body in bear would uh, be super helpful because Trey Jemison is just not there yet. Yeah. Trey, Trey can't spend more than a minute and a half on the court without fouling three times. Um, <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen that before with Clemson basketball. Yeah. Not the first time. Um, but Jonathan bear is, I think the more critical piece to come back. Clyde trap is probably the best player on the roster outside of the mere Sims when healthy. Um, but Jonathan Bear is, fills needs that we have. Uh, unlike Trap, Trap is sort of a luxury to have at point guard. Dawes has done an admirable job, especially as a freshman. Um, Trap is definitely an improvement and a significant one at that. 
And so it'll be great to have him back, but we have no size that can stay on the court. And Jonathan Bear is hopefully a player that can do that for us. Yeah. So still way too early to give up on this team. Um, it could go either way this year. We could end up with an IT bid. We could still, I think, end up in the NCAA tournament. It's just really how uh, effective these guys are coming back and how the team gels as the year continues to go on. But um, you know, as Clemson fans, you have these three losses early on, you start to get antsy. You really need to start picking up some, uh, some big wins. Um, but Sam and I will uh, be back in the next couple weeks here. Sam, I think we'll do a season preview episode. And then as we go through football and wrap that up, we'll continue to follow the basketball team uh, throughout the year. And then, Hey, next thing you know, it'll be springtime and we'll be ready for baseball. Thank you to everybody for uh, tuning in and listening. As always, you can reach out to us, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com or at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Please do subscribe to us, whichever podcasting app you prefer, so that our shows are pushed to your phone as soon as they're live. And once again, we appreciate iTunes reviews, um, the ones that give us praise. There's some funny ones that make us chuckle and laugh, you know, whatever, whatever you're feeling. As long as you hit that five-star button, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, We will be back at you after the ACC Championship game this weekend. We'll see if we can get a few of us on the show. It's getting exciting, folks. We're getting close to the playoffs, and this team is really rounding into shape. So until next time, and as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.